beats a way out. Two different ways in which we can greet one another. I'm not sure which language has the sun hit the water comes from. I believe it's a Cree statement, meaning, is the new day begun? Are we ready to start? Each a while, from the Hokumatum language, which means, how are you? Each a while. How are you? <laughs> and the response would be, in our language, Eatsen Awaya. If we can get the first slide up there. Um, for a few years now, we've all been hearing about reconciliation. We've heard about the Truth and Reconciliation Committee or Commission that was started here in Canada. Uh, Justice Marie Sinclair was uh, one of the partners in that. And um, forging and maintaining respectful relationships. There are no shortcuts. We know that. We know that there have been difficulties, there have been rough roads, and there have been hard times. The truth in the Truth and Reconciliation Committee Commission has exposed a number of outrageous issues, very hurtful and damaging issues among the First Nations people. We've heard a lot of the stories, the negativity and the pain that was caused. This is the truth. But among the First Nations communities, Many people, they don't want to live in that. They don't want to live in that truth. They want to move forward. They want to grow. They want to change. Many of you have heard me speak of this in different ways in the past few years. Today, I want to exemplify this process of reconciliation. It's not going to be easy for us, my friends my brothers and sisters in Christ. Recently, I was at Briarcrest Bible College, and they had the, their third annual Aboriginal Awareness Conference in which they had various speakers from across Western Canada, across Central Canada, and, and the East. And out of that... You're going to get um, my 13-page uh, my 13-page outline for today. Um, for those of you who know me, and I know that uh, Chelsea knows when I get up to speak, and a number of you also do, that uh, I take a lot of liberation in spreading things out and just winging it. Uh, today's going to be a little different. I'm crossing a cultural boundary. Um, we have 17 minutes and 37 seconds to be able to get through this, and uh, I'm going to try and get us through uh, creation till tomorrow. Um, but with my outline, uh, there are a number of different uh, factors that uh, have come into play in my thinking, and um, uh, again, things will be a bit different. 
Uh, I'll be sharing the floor with a couple of friends here this morning, and uh, Peter Cameron being one of them. Uh, um, but uh, Ron and Bernie are going to be joining me up here in a little while. But um, as far as the truth is concerned, we want to move forward. This is a little highlight taken from the uh, TRC website. For over 100 years, Aboriginal children were removed from their families and sent to institutions called residential schools. The government-funded, church-run schools were located across Canada and established with the purpose to eliminate parental involvement in the spiritual, cultural, and intellectual development of Aboriginal children. The last residential schools closed in the mid-1900s. During this chapter in Canadian history, more than 150,000 First Nations, Métis, and Inuit children were forced to attend these schools, some of which were hundreds of miles from their home. The cumulative impact of residential schools is a legacy of unresolved trauma passed from generation to generation and has had a profound effect on the relationship between Aboriginal people and other Canadians. You are those other Canadians. You may not have participated. You may not have been involved. But your name, your culture, your world, your faith, and your belief is associated with that other Uh, Chelsea has spoken in the past in one of her series on various forms of reconciliation and how the Bible applies to reconciliation and First Nations people. And again, I actually, I've been thinking about this whole process in speaking to you guys from the time that she asked me to come speak today. And I lost those notes because I'm such an organized person. Um, But it started a process of thinking in my life about reconciliation. And we all need it. I want to tell you a little story about when I was, when Christina and I first came to Nanaimo to start in campus ministry at VIU. In the First Nations world, uh, we thought that there was a need for... um, helping students along in, in their studies. We su- I soon discovered that the students didn't necessarily need academic help. There were some very bright, intelligent, and, and academically inclined students that we had contact to. I soon realized that they were helping me in my academics. But where they, were, where they struggled was community. They come from their isolated communities, they come from their urban communities, and they come to a place that is not their home. And they feel dislocated and disconnected. So we we created an environment where they could be among their own. One of the hardest lessons I learned in this process was the knowledge that we gained through our academics. We gained knowledge of colonization. 
we gain knowledge of the atrocities that happened in the name of Christ, in the name of government, in the name of progress. My friend Terry LeBlanc says about his father, son, there's nothing good about being Indian and it's not going to benefit you in any way, shape, or form in your life. It hasn't done anything for me and it won't do anything for you. Documents in the 1800s. I'll just pick a name. John Smith, married to Savage. These are the kind of documents, and this is the kind of history that we live with. But we're changing that, friends. Every one of us in this room. We have an opportunity to voice change. What I learned at BIU, without dealing appropriately with the issues at hand, I got onto the ferry to go meet with a committee of Aboriginal people. I got onto the ferry and I needed to use the bathroom. And it's not, I'm going to try to keep it clean here, but I uh, walked into the bathroom and into one of the stalls. And it was just messy. It was gross. It was disgusting. So I kind of, okay, well, I'll go use the next one. I'll go use the next one. But they were all the same. The, the bathroom was just filthy. I walked out of there and I was going through my head because I walked on the ferry to find another washroom and the majority of the people on the ferry were white. The thought that went through my head was dirty white people. And then I started realizing after getting closer to our destination that that thought is a horrible thought. I'm married to a woman who's white. A lot of my friends in this room are white. The committee that I was sitting with, most of them were white. It was the Canadian Aboriginal Ministry with the Christian Reformed Church. So without the, the appropriate tools to move forward and in a healthy way, we struggled at VIU, some of us. But we move forward. We as Christians, we can move forward based on biblical principles. So if I can get the next slide, please. But now, apart from the law, righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. There's a couple of words that I want to have us focus on uh, initially here. Uh, no distinction. All have sinned. There is absolutely nothing in this world that says my people were savages according to the scripture. We have realized in scripture that we're living 
life on God's time. It is a level playing field. We are equals. Under the banner of Christ, it is his blood that justifies. And I had a, a, a Bible prof who went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and, and he hated the term justified in the sense that how we lay people viewed the word. It's just as just if I'd never sinned. But that's how I view it. And in that propitiation. Now I, I struggle with I struggle with the word because it's kind of a weird word, but uh, the bottom line, the word propitiation is being reconciled to God through the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ was our blood offering. Next slide is Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. We have been declared righteous, and that's being justified. The propitiation or the reconciliation is what I call the bloodbath. It's a covering of our sin by the blood of Christ. And this is a requirement for our salvation. Justification, propitiation are God acts. And the way I see it, this is exemplified in how we should be living. In Bible college, they talk a lot about justification, sanctification, and uh, I really, I, I think it's really important to recognize our condition as sinners and our position in light of God's life. Our position for those of us who have committed our lives to Christ to follow him, is we are saved. And our condition comes under the blanket of sanctification. Uh, Romans 6, verses 18 to 22. And I'm going to read a couple of, I'm not going to read it all. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weaknesses of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification or resulting in holiness. Uh, It's kind of the same word. And I... I could go through all the Greek stuff, but uh, that, that just, it 
could cloud the issue. But uh, for when we were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. So the outworking of righteousness is being sanctified or being made holy. And the outcome of that we find in in, uh, Peter. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, or you shall be sanctified, for I am holy. God sacrificially modeled reconciliation to us. If we look back at the Romans 5 verse, it says God demonstrates his own love towards us. Now, I'm kind of simplifying this reconciliation message out of Romans. It's, as I said, there's a lot of material that the Bible teaches us about reconciliation. And we know that ultimately, our first point of reconciliation is with God. Me and him, you and him, Ron and God. Bernie and God. That needs to be our first focal point. It's not a new thing. Reconciliation will always take place between two parties or more, and it is deeply personal. It can and will deeply affect us if we've hurt somebody or if somebody's hurt us, we need to deal with that, and sometimes that hurts. Most of the time it hurts. But brothers and sisters, I don't speak of reconciliation that you need to go fix the Indian. You need to go and do this or do that. It's equals working out life issues with equals. Because Christ covers us all with the same blood. God is the Savior. I am not. I'm going forward in obedience to Him. Hoping that my life will exemplify this holiness this process of making myself holy. And I hope that you, my friends, will join me in this walk. And I I, I say these things not in judgment, but in a hope that we can move forward together, reconciled, as brothers and sisters. The present and future, if I could ask Bernie and Ron to come up, is a collective process between brothers and sisters in Christ 
between man, between humankind. And this, this for me, to share the stage with anybody is, is difficult. But I have two brothers that I love here, and uh, I thank you for how you are in the process of reconciliation with First Nations community and how you have been in reconciliation with First Nations community. So, uh, um, Bernie, if you'd like to share a little story. I made some notes on it, just in case I need them. So if I start squinting, you know that I put the font too small. <laughs> I'm going to ask Rick for his glasses. So, in my work life, I've worked with both the Ministry of Environment and the Department of Fisheries and Ocean for many, many years, hence the gray hair. Um, and I've had many opportunities to uh, meet with First Nations, uh, especially their leadership, elders and chiefs, uh, <coughs> and mostly on Vancouver Island, so I'm somewhat familiar with Generally speaking, in all, all cases, I have really enjoyed interacting with First Nations, and I find them sincere and respectful during our meetings. And I've always struck with a sense of dignity that they have as a people. Those are characteristics that everyone appreciates and, and, and should aspire to have. Now, I want to share an example that is quite memorable for me that happened uh, more than a few years ago. So, just a few details, hopefully it won't bore you. At the time, I was working with the Ministry of Environment, and I was given a file whereby a company applied for permission to discharge effluent from a closed hatchery on Salt Spring Island to a bit of land that connected Salt Spring Island to a small Another small island. This particular land feature is very unique and it's called uh, Tombolo. <coughs> we uh, mainly stand with the Southern Spirit Temple. Uh, During the assessment process that I had to follow, I became aware that the proposed location of the wells that this particular hatchery wanted to drill uh, was in, uh, they wanted to drill them in the Tombolo. And I found out that a local First Nation, the Penelicut, historically buried their ancestors there. So I checked with another level of government called the BC Archaeological Branch to see if they had any concerns about this proposal. And their response was they had no records of this and so had no concerns, even though First Nations wrote letters, owned different government departments to tell them this was wrong. So eventually, a permit was issued, and the Penelicate First Nation, amongst others, filed an appeal. An appeal was heard by an environmental appeal board. And it's, it's a quasi-judicial board where you have lawyers representing different parties 
um, and arguing on behalf of their clients. And in this case, there was lawyers arguing behalf of the Penelicut First Nation. The case lasted several days, and fortunately for me, most of the time I was an observer rather than being on the stand, which is never a fun thing. While I was sitting in the back, I observed that four First Nations elders were constantly um, coming to the uh, this um, this uh, I'm losing my my thoughts here the appeal and they came in late they sat at the back they said very little and then they left and I had an opportunity to get to know them I introduced myself to them and I asked them about where they came from and what they were doing here. And they told me that they were from Cooper Island, where the Penelicut villages. For them to get to Victoria was an effort. A ferry, a drive, a drive, a ferry, every day for about seven days. Um... They explained to me, as they got to know me, what their concern was. And it was, basically, this was the burial ground for their ancestors. And they felt there's a huge amount of disrespect by the white people that they would ignore this and that the government let this business desecrate their burial ground. I actually, I felt bad for them. And because although, and this is important, it may have been legally correct for the government to issue a license to this business, it was morally incorrect. In the end, the Penelicate did not win their appeal and the permit was upheld. However, the company was persuaded to change their plans which I guess I can take a little bit of credit for. And a year later, they started discharging their effluent from their hatchery directly to the ocean rather than to this burial ground. I had the opportunity to be invited to Cooper Island to explain, to share and explain the change in thought and what this company was going to do now. I met a number of the elders there and again I was struck by their graciousness, patience and dignity along with their sense of humor. I actually thought this was the end of my interactions with the Penelicut, but God had a different plan and a sense of humor. A couple of years later I met Tal and Christine at Christ Community Church here and got to know them. At some point in time, the story I just shared with you, I uh, I shared with Tal, and he started laughing. I asked him why. And he said, two of those First Nations elders were my parents. So I actually had a chance to meet his parents and get to know them a bit before I got to meet Tal. So I thought that was pretty cool. So I say this story to encourage all of you that when you have an opportunity to engage with First Nations, to take it 
and run with it. You will be blessed. For me, it's been a very positive experience, and it taught me that First Nations have a lot to teach us. And through our engagement with them, we, in our own small way, can decrease the marginalization that they experience in our society today. Thank you. Thanks, Bruce. Can we get the other slide up? Do you want to read this? No, no, it's okay. Okay. Uh, I had a similar experience as a professional to Bernie that I had the opportunity to visit a lot of Indian reserves and they became clients. We were in the engineering business and we walked alongside them um, solving problems together. And the very first reserve I went on to, I was really intimidated. It's the Penelicate Band. (laughs) Uh, Fortunately, Wilbur Jack was the chief. He was a great big guy with a soft voice. Made me feel very welcome. And I continued to be uh, intimidated going on to reserves. It's a different culture. And the more time I spent there, the more I got to understand that culture, and particularly the humor. It's very endearing. But the, the bottom line was about developing trusted friendships. And the more you, the more you get to spend with a community on their ground, the more likely you're going to build those kind of relationships. And it hit me when I left that job, one of the chiefs, Richard Lucas at Hot Springs Cove, was in tears when I was leaving. And and all he said was, but we trusted you. We had developed a trusting friendship, and, and it takes time. We walked together through solving lots of problems over probably 10 years. I guess the point is building trusted friendships with the First Nations community. It's not something that happens the first day you walk on a reserve. In fact, most of us, I think, would be a bit intimidated because it's a different, a different world. But I think that to be honored by being a trusted friend uh, in a First Community, First Nations community, is a real honor. You guys. Past, present, and future reconciliation. It's been happening for decades, centuries. It is God ordained. The blood of Christ washes over us. That is the propitiation of our sins. The blood covering that makes us holy people, saints according to Greek translations. So the, the big question that we're going to ask now is, how have you engaged with First Nations people? And how will you engage with First Nations people? This collective effort of saints reaching out to the First Nations community We can do this together. Bernie and I have sat down and and envisioned something. How do we start? 
And um, Ron, Ron is, is coming on board to help us figure things out as well. And um, ultimately, this is about building blocks for community, for sharing the gospel. And if we look at it from this perspective, we can see that as the world. And then hone that down a little bit to our neighborhoods. Well, actually, that's quite a bit from the world to our neighborhoods. And for Bernie and myself and Ron, it's honing it down, getting that axe ground down sharp enough to be usable so that we can focus our attention on Christ Community Church and the people of Penelicut. Penelicut persons. Where we can focus our attention to try to create a place of reconciliation. Building bridges isn't the easiest thing to do. But with the collective creativity in this room, the skills, the ability, the gifts and talents are here in this room. And furthermore, love is in this room. That's what should be a main motivator in us going forward. To follow that example of God's demonstration. We can be the tool or the instrument used to open the door to that blood covering of sanctification, justification, propitiation. This is a long-term process. We don't want to rush through it. We want to get it right. I'm glad Bernie's on board. When these ideas started coming forward, there were other ideas with some other people in this community that have ideas as well. So we'll move forward. But we want to get it done right. We want to build a long-lasting trust relationship with some of our neighboring communities. It can be your back door. It can be people in a different town or village. But Bernie and I are proposing that at some point we create an opportunity with the Penelicat Tzolchwan, the elders, where we can host um, an outing on neutral territory where we can take responsibilities and honor the First Nations elders of Penelicat. Now, when I say it'll be the First Nations elders, they'll probably bring their kids and their grandkids and great-grandkids, but that's a cultural thing. We invite you to jump on board with us to be able to move forward together. We covet your interaction. We covet your ideas and your thinking. And we look forward to how we can move forward together on this. So the varying degrees of reconciliation, we're all at different stages in our lives in our walk with Christ. But we're in that 
reconciliation mode? We always have been. Because it's God-ordained, and it's part of the DNA of our faith. I have no conclusion other than that. So, let's pray. God, I pray that I did not cloud or foggy up the water. as far as reconciliation is concerned. May our hearts be united with yours in reaching out and making amends for your name's sake. May we take our responsibility as saints made holy following your example and sacrifice. Thank you for how you're going to do this in and through us and among our neighbors. Amen.